Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 207 of Yoga Land. Today, Jason and I are back chatting with you. Did you want to say something about our other special guest? No. No. Now it sounds like there's a ghost in the room. We've got Ginger here with us as well. And before we start this episode, I had something that I wanted to tell you. What? Do you have something that you want to tell me? Yeah. Are we sticking know, together? I just want to know if you'll listen to my dream from last night. No. You guys, you have no idea. This is like this. This <laughs> is the ongoing thing in our this. relationship. <laughs> I have actually, okay, so I want to make something very clear. I think within the commitments of matrimony, <laughs> I do, I do. I do think that within- This should have been in our vows. Within the commitments to matrimony and vows, we should always listen to our partner or our spouse's dreams with regards to their aspirations in life. I don't think we should have to listen to the dream they had last night. Oh my God. Because it's it's like a very specific delusional hallucination. And those just don't translate well. But it's so cool. If Unless you it's wanna, like, if like your dream is so crazy and wacky and cool or like so close to reality that you felt like it was real, then you want to tell your partner and your partner's the person who knows you the best. You're the one who lost Ginger in Japan in my dream recently. But if it's a, a moment like, hey, last night in my dream, I was hanging out with rappers. It was really fun. You can't do that. You got to go through the whole thing. No, to get no. There. no, because, because you're you a can't vi- remember. So you got to go through all the details till you get to that part. This is something that you might not know about you though, which is you are very detailed. So when you're telling stories, it's a very, very good thing uh-huh. unless it is a delusional, hallucinogenic story that is going to just end up with a punchline of, that was really bleeping weird. I think there's a subtext to what you just said, and we're not even going to go there. Okay. Because you like raised your eyebrows when you said, I don't know if you know this, but you're very detailed. <laughs> no, that was completely with regards to story time. Listen, how does this have to do with yoga? It doesn't. I've just, just been... So back to Yoga Land podcast. What number of podcasts is this, by the way? 207. Man. Yeah. That's a lot of podcasts. It is. And yet... Do people still listen to it? <laughs> if you do, you have my undying gratitude. Yeah. It's like one of those things where I think you went for a really long period of time looking at metrics, which actually kind of feeds us in to the work that you want to talk a little bit about today, which is to be honest with you, I think that, I think to some degree, we, we benchmark our success based on the most obvious, but not necessarily the most accurate indicators. You mean people do in general? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't mean just you and I. Yeah. And so I know for me as a yoga teacher for a long time, that was the amount of people that came to my class versus the amount of people that came to the class before or after it, right? Mm-hmm. And then I remember kind of like early on on Yoga Glow, they had they had this feature, they had this comments feature, right? And it was like this very loose way because they don't really share their numbers. They don't really share user statistics with us, yeah, okay. right? Uh-huh. In the same way that Netflix doesn't or whatever, right? But on their classes, there were comments. And it was like, and I so, Jason. <laughs> no, no. So it was like, so you could kind of, if you wanted to go there, you could kind of be like, oh, well, this class of mine got 25 comments. Oh, this class of mine got one comment. Oh, this ca- class of Catherine Budig got 90 comments. Oh, this 
class with. And so it was this, it, what I'm getting at is there are very common ways that we benchmark our status or our performance or our wellness in comparison to others. Mm-hmm. All are demented. And almost all of them are not particularly accurate reflections of what's happening in your life or your relationships, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think that you wanted to spend a little bit of time today talking about some of the bigger myths Mm -hmm. in content creation and engagement with an audience. And I think that that's one of those myths, right, is that it's about that top line, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I this wasn't the inroad I was thinking of taking in, into the conversation, but as you say this, I'm realizing this period we're living in these last 10 years, it's really the first time that small business owners, that we have this idea of how many people quote unquote like us or not, and how many people quote unquote follow us or not. So it is really, really hard on the mind. And I actually think that I learned from you not to worry about top line metrics because I came from, you know, I started working on the web in 1994 and it was so exciting that we could see, I helped launch prevention's website and they're a huge brand. They had been forever. So when we launched their website, we had like a million page views in the first month and it was like, wow, we have a million pages. So everything I ever did from that point on, I always expected that it should quote, should be the highest, right? The biggest was the best until I started my own podcast. And I was like, oh boy, I have 80 people listening to this thing the first week. And you were the one who taught me the number of followers, the number of likes, the number of listens. They matter in the sense that, you know, you you want people to, to like you and sure, listen to you. Sure. So of course, but but they don't necessarily matter in terms of what your ultimate goals are, which it, which are to make a living at what you do <laughs> and to be able to keep doing it. Right. Yes. And so, yeah, I don't know if you want to say yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, someone that always stands out to me as the huge exception, I'm sure there's other exceptions and I know I've talked about this, but yoga girl, Rachel Brayton, that's a, she's a huge exception to the rule because she has a massive, massive following, like a following that, that for the most part dwarfs most everyone else in the yoga teaching world. And she also has an incredible amount of interactive demand. So when she, right. So when she would travel, people would turn up, hundreds of people would turn up. I'm sure that her digital channels do really well. I'm sure sales do really well. I know that her book did really well. Right. But I guess what I'm getting at is I actually think she's the exception. I think that the vast majority of top line engagement, the number of followers, first of all, it's often not a very real number. Like that's a very easy number to pad, but it also doesn't necessarily reflect quality engagements. I'm going to put it two different ways. It doesn't necessarily translate to the thing that you are selling and it doesn't necessarily translate to your dharma, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm going to get, I'm just going to give one example and then I'm going to throw it back to you because I don't want to take this over. Right. But like, I know very clearly that I sell one thing and that's that I teach people things, right? Like I am compensated to be a teacher. That's my service, Mm -hmm. right? And I know actually that that's my dharma. I I think that I'd be happy to teach things other than yoga. I think at some phase of my life, maybe I will. Like I love yoga as a subject matter and as like a 
uh, an interpersonal process. But I think deeper and prior to that, I always wanted to teach people things. Like that's one of the few things I'm actually good at and I really enjoy. So for me, whether it's social media, whether it's this podcast, whether it's my trainings, whatever it is, I'm looking for people that want to learn. I'm not trying to sell a third-party product, Mm -hmm. right? So I am directly compensated by consumers. I'm not indirectly compensated by advertising things, right? And that's very different when you look at a lot of the yoga market in terms of people with higher profile numbers and bigger numbers is the majority of that market is not making their primary income through selling yoga education. They're making it indirectly through advertising for sponsors, Mm -hmm. right? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But as yoga teachers, we want to have that clarity in terms of whether it's our social media, whether it's our newsletter, whether it's our whatever it is, we kind of want to know, am I trying to scale this so that individuals purchase things for me? Or am I trying to scale this so a company pays me to advertise their product? Mm -hmm. Because those are two totally different things, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that the world you and I have always really lived in is that smaller, more intimate, ongoing world of connection and direct consumer to consume, for lack of like better phrase, right? That consumer to consumer thing, right? So I think things that you and I really focus on, and I know that you're going to talk a lot about in the course that you're launching, is relationship building and engagement and building a base of students that are going to come along with you for a ride, not just purchase something that you suggest. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's an, a very important mental construct for people to to sink their head into. I'll say one more thing and then you can pick this up, which is I think I have over 60,000 Instagram followers. So there's not 60,000 people that are going to buy my workshop. There's 50 or there's 100 or maybe there's 150. Right. So having that and Instagram is never going to serve it to a fraction of those people anyways. Right. And so. I don't think we want to just think about those top line larger numbers. We want to think about who are the people that we're actually connecting with and can we connect with them on a very consistent basis, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So I think that there's a few things that came up for me when you were talking The first is that, and you said this a different way, but followers do not necessarily become students. Hmm. So that's just like a really basic way to think of it. Followers do not necessarily become students. And what you want ultimately is you want students. That's how you're going to power your business as a yoga teacher on all the different levels. The other thing that I just want to throw out there is that you mentioned that Sometimes people who are quote unquote bigger influencers make money through advertising. And I just want to kind of nod to the fact that bigger influencers, and and we're talking like really big, 
do have more opportunities. They definitely have more opportunities for getting a book deal. They definitely have more opportunities for starting a clothing line. There are opportunities that come with that. You just have to decide if that's what you want. And if you do, Jason and I aren't really like the right teachers for you because we're just not, that's just not how we've ever tried or wanted or had the opportunity to go. So our model is much more of, you know, think of everyone who follows you as a potential student and treat them as such. Related to that is I just would like to, I've been thinking of this about this a lot lately. And yes, I am about to launch my course tomorrow. I'm teaching this free newsletter workshop and I'm going to give the people who attend that workshop a little sneak peek of the course. It goes on sale. If you want to actually be a part of that, it's the registration is closed because it just filled up so quickly, but you can, I will can, will still send you the replay and I'll give you all the information at the end of the, of the episode. But the point that I'm trying to make is as I've been doing the course, I've been realizing that the thing that I most want yoga teachers to embrace is that you are a mom and pop shop. Yes. You are a small yes. business. Yes. I hear a lot of, I'm afraid of sending too many newsletters. I'm afraid of bothering people. I'm afraid, I don't know how to get them to buy. I don't want to, I feel embarrassed about, and I totally get it because I, it's taken me a long time to come around to this as well. Having worked for people for a long time and gotten my paycheck like through my boss and then switching to doing what we do, it's, I understand it's taken me a long time to get to where I am as well in terms of my mindset. But the truth of the matter is you are a small business owner and you need and deserve to make a living. And so if you have people following you or subscribing to your newsletter who don't like it, when you mention a paid program that you have, then that's fine. They can unsubscribe or they can stop following you. It's not going to help you to have them continue to follow you. I'm I'm potentially veering off a little bit, but I just thought of that when you were talking. No, I I think you're right on. And I say this to people in my trainings all the time, especially over the last several months, because there are so many people acutely suffering. There are so many people that have lost their jobs. There are so many studios that have closed down. And the entire yoga world, I feel, has come to us and said, is it okay that we still charge for things? And the answer is, uh... Yeah. yeah, you don't have to lose your job too. Right. The world's not going to be better if you lose your job. And free yoga is not particularly difficult to come by. So there's many different compensation strategies. And we've talked about these in a lot of other podcasts. One of the things that I have really changed my tune over is I used to be really judgmental of people in their feed selling products. Because I... Do you mean like if they were selling someone else's product? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like to me, it's not like if you work for, let's say someone works for Kino's brand, Omstars, and that person is like, like join Omstars to take my class. That I don't think about that as selling someone else's product. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Livelihood. It's more like, I mean, Andrea, you have no idea the amount of CBD companies that contact me on a daily basis. And you too. It's crazy, Right. So I probably get 15 solicitations a week to do sponsored ads, and I just delete them because, and only because, people currently pay me to teach. But if they weren't paying me to teach, (laughs) are you kidding me? I'd be like, do this CBD, do that CBD, do this. This is the best dog food I've ever had in my life. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So it's very easy for me to kind of like have old school integrity around this because I have a base of students and I have a, right? Mm -hmm. And those students have stayed with me, right? And, and they've done the workshop and then the training and then the retreat, right? So I have a lot of consistency of people over time. And that's not easy. And if, if I wanted this to be my job and I didn't have those opportunities, I would have to look at other ways of compensate, becoming compensated. I think the other thing too, and you know, we really see this, something I've really been reflecting on, especially with the fomentation of the social unrest is I'm just really aware of my age and that I'm not really part of youth culture anymore. And so the way that people become compensated online is just different. And it's really generationally difficult yeah, yeah. to not judge people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like we judge our parents and we're going to judge our kids. It's somehow like our generation, whatever <laughs> generation it is, thinks that they have found like the way things should be. And then if it was done a different way in a historical setting, it was wrong. And then, you know, if someone is doing it in a, in a younger way, it's also wrong. But, but getting us back to this, this same topic, I want to take a moment of just like a real honest, 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 honest moment, which is the deck is really stacked against the vast majority of yoga teachers developing a big enough audience that online that they are going to sell products. The deck is not stacked against actually selling your services. Right. It's not. Right. It's difficult to do, don't get me wrong, but it is so hard and so rare to have the practice and the work ethic and the time and the patience and just the DNA that is going to get you get you so many followers that you are going to have people, you're going to have another CBD company wanting to pay for your posts. Like it's just not a very likely thing, but you can actually help people be well through the medium of yoga, through the medium of meditation. And the reality, and I was saying this earlier, is like, you don't need that many people. If I you know, let, let's go back to pre-COVID times. Any workshop I would teach around the world, you know, having done this for two decades, you know, we do well, we'll get 70 people, right? But 70 people for a, for a weekend workshop, right? That's a lot of people. But in social media, that's not many people, right? right? Mm -hmm. And so I don't think that we want to get so obsessed with the tens of thousands and think like, oh my God, I have to have 50,000, 40,000, 60,000, 100,000, a million people. We have to have people that are actually engaged and that want to stay engaged with us over time. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways to do that, so, so getting back to like the first sort of baseline point they were both making, which is, you know, it's not about the number of followers or the number of people on your list. It's about putting the people who do follow you and are on your list, putting them first. And it sounds like this like very old fashioned customer service approach, but it, it's true and it, and it works. So what that means to me is anyone who reaches out to me with a question or, and I think your, your following is actually a little bit too big at this point to do this, but anyone who emails me, anyone who DMs me, 
anyone who asks me a question in the comments, I always try to answer. I always mm. try to make it an actual real connection online. I'm trying to get better at that. <clears throat> and you know, the thing for me, it just plays out as I'm just not very social. Yeah. And you also just don't, I mean, I, it's so, not about size. It's no, more no, about my personality. About, and I think it's about like your enjoyment of the app. I mean, yeah. I've always liked the app a little bit more than you. And I, I've also always had to be home more than you. Like now you're home a lot, but for years, like it was amazing for me to hear from people online in an email, you know, after I sent out a newsletter, somebody emailed me or if someone DM'd me, but that was my ability to have contact with my people. So now that we're sort of all in this together, in this situation together, I think it's even more important to just treat the people who follow you like actual people and like people that you know. And as much as you can, try to answer them, try to, you know, acknowledge and comment on their things. There's someone that I follow. Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on her her name right now because I can only just see her um, handle. Her Instagram handle is Movement Maestro. Oh, Shante Caulfield. She's a PT. She's the one who does the funny TikToks I've been showing you. The one TikTok you were like, oh, I love this one. Okay. Anyway, and she she did this TikTok the other day that was like, I can't really describe it, but her bottom line was like, have fun. If you're on social media and you're not having any fun at all, what is the point? You know, this is all kind of absurd. This whole like, oh my gosh, the world that we're having to function in right now. So for me, making actual connections with the people who do follow me makes it so much more fun. So yeah. Yeah. Um, that was like sort of the first myth was the, you know, you, you want to get bigger and have more followers. And it's not that, look, it's not that you don't necessarily want right. to get bigger. Right. Let's just, let's be honest about human nature. Sure, sure, sure. Right? And also, I mean, the reality is like, it does give you a, a bigger base, but my point being that that's not the end. That shouldn't be your sole focus. Not only should it be the sole focus, but it is often not an accurate reflection of the amount of people that value your teaching. And that's where we, we like, we keep getting back to this idea of being a teacher, right? It's like, there are sometimes an inverse relationship between people who have m mass followings and social media and that also participate in those people's classes. Because all, again, Rachel Brayton, I think is kind of an exception. There's a couple other exceptions. Kino might be an exception too, but Kino was so popular prior to social media, you know? And although she's leveraged that medium so well, like she was such a, it's still such a committed student of a tradition yeah. that she had such a consistent base. She didn't, she didn't make herself via yeah, she that already medium. Had her own studio she before. was just, she's yeah. been an expert at, at incorporating that medium. Right. But the thing that I'm trying to get to is that having a big following very rarely translates to having many people that actually practice yoga with you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And if, and if everyone just pauses for a moment and thinks about how they engage with social media, they're almost never doing yoga to social media, right? No one does. So being engaged with someone in that medium is not the same as being engaged with them as an actual student, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I think another thing that you wanted to bring in is 
You know, basically just that when you start to create content, because that's the main focus of this course that I've created, when you start to create content, you're not going to see changes overnight. (laughs) And you might not see changes for months or months or months. Yeah. You really have to commit and be steadfast in your commitment, which is why I just like I, I just said, you know, focus on it being fun, figure out a way to make it fun for yourself, figure out ways that you feel inspired to share instead of worrying about how you share. This comes back to being a business owner. You're a business owner. So guess what? You got to share that your business exists. Figure out a way that feels creative to you. Figure out a way that feels fun and know that you're going to have to be incredibly cognitively flexible, okay? So tech changes, the world changes, people's desires change, you change. All you can do is commit to keep doing it. You and I, our content has changed over the years. The focus of our content, the way that we talk about things, it just does. The only thing that remains the same is that we create original content every month, if not every week. I was just today listening to a podcast with Rob Lowe, who I just, I want to, I want him to be my friend. Oh, and I, I haven't actually, I wouldn't mind <laughs> Rob could come over anytime. <laughs> uh, and one of the things that he was talking about, he's had a 40 plus year career, yeah. right? A really unbelievable career, right? And one of the things that he's talking about is that he's always been dexterous. And that's the word that he used. Like he's always been dexterous and he's always been able to adapt to changing demands and changing mediums. And I think this is something that I've always wanted to be. You know, I have this, I actually have this huge fear of being left out. I don't have to be the center of attention, but I don't. Oh, really? I'm just kidding. But I don't want (laughs) to, but I don't want to be left out. I I want to be the one, I want to be the one that's like, no, I'm good. I'm not going to join, but I want an invitation. (laughs) I don't want to go. But you know what I mean? And so I have always felt like, hey, you know, I need to make sure both for my own human interest and then also for my ability, I believe, to teach certain things that are of value. And they're both things. I think that I teach things that are of value and also like I want to continue for my own sense of purpose to be relevant, right? And to be relevant across generations, and so for me to do that, I can't, I can't ignore mediums. I can't I- ignore changes in culture. I can't ignore that for some reason, everyone that is younger than me that does yoga wants to learn how to press in the handstand. I don't understand why people care about that. <laughs> like, I really don't. I don't get it. Can you press it? No, you can't. No, but I can hands, balance a handstand, handstand fine. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. too tight. Yeah. I'm also probably not strong enough. But my point on this is like, It's not for me to understand why someone wants to do that. It's for me to say, oh, you want to do that? All right, let me see if I can help you figure out how to do this because this is a value to you, Mm -hmm. right? And so we, we have to be very dexterous in how we relate to other people and dexterous in how we relate to our own craft. And if we don't, we're left in the dust, man. And I've seen it, I've seen it so many times with so many teachers who didn't cross over into a different business model 
because they are very stuck and steadfast on an old business model, right? I really like to think of it as flexibility because think yeah, about dexterous. it. Yeah, dexterous. That's why I'm like, that's Think about dexterous. it. Like, what are we training ourselves to be able to do, you guys? We're training ourselves to be more open, to be able to, you know, withstand changes and be steadfast and, you know, not react, but respond to respond skillfully. All of these things require cognitive flexibility. So, think of your business in the same way. You can sort of like kick stones and be like, oh, I don't want to do bleh. Or you can be like, okay, I get to learn this thing now. I wonder if there's any way I can make it enjoyable for myself. We did that podcast with Deepak and Archana yeah. that we didn't record. So it we're going to do it again. We didn't record it. Zoom messed up. Don't. Zoom's going to sue you. I don't care. They know that they did. It was, I almost cried. Anyways, he used this word. We, we had this great conversation, right? And he used this word sulk, right? Yes. And I, and I kind of feel that if I'm honest with myself is that I'll sulk sometimes when I don't, <laughs> when I don't want to adapt to a changing environment, right? Mm-hmm. So I'll judge it. I'll be like, Oh, so and so just did a bunch of CBD and lagging blah. blah. It's <laughs> or like that's just... doing all these reels now. Like, oh god, I don't even know what reels are, but they're like TikTok on Instagram. You okay. really don't look at the app. Well, I, I, I want to say one more thing before we get too far down that path, which is I think that just going back to the original point, things don't happen quickly. They don't happen overnight when you create mm-hmm. content. The whole the old adage of like it takes ten years to to be an overnight success is 100% true for most of us. For most. For most of us in the world. And what it requires is, again, coming back to this belief that I'm a business owner and I am qualified to do this. You know, I do hear from people as well, like, I'm not sure if what I'm talking about really resonates. I'm not really sure if what I put in my newsletter is something that's worthwhile to people. I understand when you send things and when you post things, sometimes you're not going to get the response that you were sort of hoping for. And, or sometimes you do get the response, but you still wonder like, am I qualified to do this? And that's where you have to just put on your CEO pants and be like, yeah, I'm doing this now because guess what? I teach yoga. I decided to teach yoga and this is part of the job. There's two things that are coming up for me related. The first is... You know, as you, I think, know, I used to travel a lot. (laughs) Oh, God. Really? I hadn't noticed. (laughs) And I would arrive at, like, wherever in the world. And if I wasn't being picked up by a studio owner or manager, I would push a button on my phone. And a car would come and meet me within, like, five minutes. And if it took more than five minutes, I'd be so annoyed. Okay? (laughs) We have to realize, like, how much... Our sense of time and scale is so deeply demented and corrupted at this phase of our life. Yeah. Because it takes, for the vast majority of people, an incredibly long time to develop a sustainable business. It just really does. But we don't see it that way. Because because often in these feeds, and it's no one's fault. It's just the, it's our lack of discretion and discernment. It's also the reality speaking in this app is like, I, it, to me, it's a, there's, it's a mental junk food diet that everyone is on. 
Like, you know what I mean? It really is. I think it's really, I think there's a lot of mental illness as a result of it. Yeah. I think if we're honest with it. Yeah. But the point is, is like culture has always been crafted by media. Media always shapes culture. It's, it's this ongoing interactive dynamic and we can't not fast forward what we believe is our time scale for success. We think like, oh, but that was a killer post. Boom. Oh, I was on the cover of this. People are going to love me now. Boom. Mm -hmm. Oh, so-and-so, you know, I got someone with a blue check mark to like, like this and make a comment. Oh, it's going to be good now. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just not the reality, you know? And I remember two people, speaking of covers, I remember two people who were students of mine. I think I've had a dozen or more students on the cover of Yoga Journal, like a lot of students, especially like in the 2000s. And I remember two people, me having to sit them down and be like, your life is not going to change. Nothing is going to change. You know why? Because this is going to matter to people at most for 28 days. And then no one's going to care about this again. So you might be on the cover now, enjoy it. But all this is going to do is change your expectation. It's not actually going to change your financial reality at all. A cover doesn't make a demand. A dozen covers over time might, you know? And so the point on this is like, the upside of this is you have to realize like no little gain or little success is going to make you as a yoga teacher and no little failure or no little setback is going to destroy you as a teacher. Like that's just not how it works. And so we want to be really sensitive with that time scale, right? And yeah. just know that our expectations are just a lot of times out of, uh, they're not commensurate with reality. Yeah. I was looking just out of curiosity, like the people on YouTube that do really well, the, the very few people, especially like Yoga with Adrian, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of classes, right? So, so, so that's the, be the last thing I want to say, which is the, the point I want to get on this is not to overwhelm people at all, but it's to say it takes time. Mm -hmm. It takes time to develop and engage an ongoing student base. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think you probably did overwhelm people and that's okay. So I'm going to play devil's advocate and flip side. And I'm going to say that, yes, it does take a long time to amass a lot of content, but you can do it if you start now. Totally. So start, just start and go and keep going. Yoga with Adrian, you know, I don't, know much about her background, but I'm guessing that she just started doing it, having no idea that she would end up where she, having 0.00000 idea that she would be the most, you know, popular YouTube yoga teacher. So she just decided this is something I can do. I can fit it into my life. I can fit it into my schedule. It works for me. And she just kept doing it. The first podcast I launched, I literally 80 people listened to it. And I had already a publishing back background. Yeah. I was married to you. I had all of these things. You didn't have the Chihuahua though. I did not yet have the Chihuahua. But the point is that you're never going to know until you start and you are consistent. Like think of it as, you know, water dripping out of a faucet. You're just dripping, 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 dripping each week or each month. And after a year, you are way further along than you were the year before. Yeah. Having said that, I understand the point that you made about if you're going to launch a service, give yourself a head start. That's actually something I talk about in my course is just like 
don't think that you have to do all these things right now. Try to plan and give yourself a lot more time and space to think before you kind of really jump into the publishing plan because that just that just it just takes time and it helps you if you if you give yourself a little more breathing room. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about is just, and this is kind of related to what I was just saying, which is sometimes I think we feel like we have, we don't know what to post about, or we don't know what to write about. Sometimes. And I, actually, I, I always think I have stuff to post. I just don't good. want to do it. That's good. I offer a lot of different like ideas and frameworks and inspirations in the course, but the bottom line that I want to say to people is that Again, that's just your self-doubt talking. You actually do have plenty to say. You have plenty of valid thoughts. And you, and you don't have to always post the most revelatory, original, unique thing ever. In fact, I think yoga teachers are starting to get a little bit nutty about trying to just have the most unique take on the body or the unique take on the big toe or the, it's totally. like, oh my God, all we all want is just to have someone remind us to be more embodied, to calm down, to love our family and our lives, to do our best. Like those are like the basic categories of what people need. And so you don't have to create, you don't have to reinvent the wheel to be quote unquote important. You just have to post something that will help the people who follow you. So part of that is getting to know them and getting to know what resonates with them. And you can start with the students who you know and are right in front of you. And then second of all, be genuine. You know, I, I think there's like this, both this upside and downside to social media, which is that on the, on the downside, we all do tend to put our best foot forward. I mean, of course we do. We're human. And, and it's like people are seeing us and seeing our photos and seeing what we write. So we want to, you know, we want to at least sound halfway coherent. But the upside is that a lot of communities who have felt marginalized over the years, anything from like the trans community to the autism community to, I mean, any number of people find each other online by other people being genuine. So, and you're going to find your students by being genuine. So I think those are the two things to think about. I mean, there's a lot more th to think about that I talk about in the course, but if you're feeling like you have stuff to write about, but you're, you just don't feel confident in it, you're gonna have to tell that voice to quiet down and you're gonna have to focus on what is useful to other people that I have to offer and how can I offer it in a genuine way. I think that one of the challenges of feeling like everything you do has to have this massive impact and this poignancy and this kind of poetic verse and this messianic zeal is that that's hard to do time and time again. And even if you do do it, most people will start to zone out on it, yeah. right? Yeah. And so as a teacher, if you feel, or as just a person, if you feel like, Every moment that you post has to be this like unbelievably measured thing. That's a lot to live up to over a period of time. And it probably isn't a reflection of who you actually are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that that's part of the problem that we all get ourselves into is we start doing these things that aren't, that aren't real reflections of our totality. And that becomes 
incredibly draining to people. So draining. You know? Can't keep that up for long. You just can't. <laughs> and then, you're a little and, bit cuckoo. Well, there's some of that. Yeah. There's actually a lot of that. Um, I think another thing that it comes up for me on this is, like, I am not an artist. I'm not a musician. I'm not a writer. But I have a deep need to express certain aspects of my humanity, right? And so I think that for me, it comes off much more in teaching. And actually, as a total aside, like, I almost never create content, including social media content, outside of teaching, it almost pretty much everything that I post about or write about in some other context came up for me when I was teaching it. And then afterwards I take a mental note and I'm like, oh, I, I, I can use this phrase or this technique or this thought that came up for me when I was teaching. And then I can do like a little quip about it. Right. But I think one of the things too uh, on this level is like, because I have a need to express myself in some way, then I get a sense of satisfaction from actually expressing who I am and what I care about, whether or not someone likes that or does not like that. I like that um, point. That's and, a really good And point. I like to be vindicated. Don't yeah. get me wrong. We, we all do. Like every single person to some degree externalizes their validity. Sure. Because that's part of being a social species. Like that is wrapped into our DNA for hundreds of thousands of years. And if you think you're the exception, maybe you're sociopathic or you're lying to yourself. Like everyone to some degree, I think no more so than ever do we want everyone to think like us. Actually, this is crazy. How much we have an un, like a bottomless neurotic need for everyone to feel the way we feel about subject matter. But anyways, bottom line, we can allow some of the content that we create to just be genuine expressions of who we are. And then people are into that or they're not into it, but at least you're expressing who you are. And that fills this very deep human need, especially if you have things on the inside that you want to communicate, but you don't have a different medium to communicate those things. Yeah, I totally appreciate that. I mean, I think that's why I started writing in the first place is just because I felt like it was a medium where I could express myself and it just made me feel better afterward. So I'm happy to hear that it feels like that for you sometimes. That makes me happy. I would be, I, this is going to sound silly, but like, if I had any talent whatsoever in other avenues, I would probably do something else. I would probably do something in the creative or expressive realm, whether it's film or writing or whatever it is. Like I, as a person, have a deep need to express myself when I need to express myself, which is not most of the time. You know what I mean? Like I don't all day like need to tell you what's on my mind, mm -hmm. but I have a deep need to express parts of my humanity. And I don't, I'm not like being cheeky. Like I genuinely don't have artistic talent outside of communication. Like I'm a good communicator. I'm a good verbal communicator. So wanting to teach people things and wanting to express myself, that those things come together for me when I teach. And that then becomes the engine of my content. I don't know. I mean, I think that that unicorn cake that you drew for Sophia and then you painted it was pretty, pretty darn good. 
It was we, but we watched like a very specific YouTube video on how to do it. But it was pretty good. It was pretty, pretty good. It was before the unicorn cake was a unicorn. Did you do a? I don't remember yes. seaweed. Do you guys finish it? First of all, let's start with ginger. With the ginger photo, the ginger, the ginger photo from Balmy Alley. Yeah, that was good. But we digress. I wanted to just offer a couple of things to think about. I'm, I've been sort of offering things to not worry about when you think about creating content, but I wanted to offer just a couple quick tips for things to do as you start to create content. And the first one is... Cry a lot. To figure out a scope, right? I remember mm. when I early on when I got to Yoga Journal, a couple of years before I started working there, it had been much more of a new age magazine. It had kind of veered off into yeah. more like crystals and... Yeah. And that's fine. I mean, it just it just called itself a new age magazine. Any most anything mm-hmm. that's that has a long tail mm-hmm. goes through different yeah. identity phases, including individuals. Yeah. So when I started there and we had a new editor who who you know, she put up a at that time it was like a PowerPoint, like it was like those transparencies, <laughs> Anyway, big thing on the wall. And it was an image of in the middle of the circle, there was a circle and it said yoga. And then there were all these overlapping circles of things that we covered in the magazine, like nutrition and meditation and all of these things that were we were allowed to cover. And then as you went further out on the wheel, they were things that we were less and less likely to cover. Like Pilates was one of them, I remember. We right. covered it rarely, but every once in a while, we covered Pilates. So the reason... The reason you do this when you work for an editorial publication is because it's it's simple. It's an organizing principle. Yeah. So if you are going to be a self-made publishing machine, you have to have an organizing principle for yourself or you will go crazy. So this is I do walk through this in the course, but which you have been making fun of me because <laughs> I had to record the video several times over and over. Let's let's make it clear. I have taught hundreds of hours at home since COVID. Yes. You have now created a program. We have a small home. It's a lovely home with nice furniture, but we have heard every moment of each other do their (laughs) own craft to the point of madness. So we make fun of each other quite a bit. I love, I love you making fun of me about this. It's been hilarious, but yes. um, So create a few buckets (laughs) content buckets zones of genius i got my purple one i got my red one i ordered them from amazon that's what he's been saying Um, but you know what i didn't get buckets actually i got content pails oh (laughs) those don't count you're gonna have to take them back send them back so yes you're gonna figure out your scope so that you're it just helps you to post consistently it helps you to deepen your knowledge of those particular areas and it, it helps people understand you better and they associate you with certain areas. So that's one do. Another do is to create a calendar for yourself, first of all, just plain simple, that includes your content. And look at, Jason, when you teach sequencing and when you teach your advanced trainees, you talk a lot about having monthly monthly curriculum. Yeah, you have to... So you sync up what you're going to write about with what you're going to teach. Mm. And they feed each other. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. It's so good. Mm. It's so good. Mm. 
That's all I'm saying about that. It's crazy that we think that we can teach what yoga entails without like some basic plan. And the thing is you can do that for a long time, but you can't do that at a high level and you can't do it for a long time. I I say this to people all the time. The amount of things that I am bad at is like, it's incomprehensible, but I have a certain amount of natural talent to teach things. And I have taught things for a really long time. That doesn't mean I'm the best. It doesn't even mean that like I am for everyone. But for someone that has a long track record, a ton of experience, and like a little bit of some natural talent for this, dude, I got to be planned. I got to be programmed. I got to really think through things. I really do. I'm, I'm so much more so than ever. And a part of that is because I really, I haven't really said this to you, but like, I really respect people that are good at what they do. And I'm really inspired by excellence. And I want to be really good at teaching yoga. You know what I mean? So like, I I don't want to just like crank out class after class after class after class and post after post after post. Like, I want to really hone this craft and, and help people do it in this really skillful way. And to do that, I, I think that you've got to have some, like you're saying earlier, some scope, mm-hmm. some focus, some organizational tools. And I resisted that for so long in part because I thought that that would encumber my spontaneity and creativity. And it doesn't. It anchors it. I think so too. Yeah. And I, I think it's it just deepens one's ability to learn. It just really does. It creates growth. The more conscious you are, the, the more you grow. That's yeah. Just, yeah. So the last thing I will say as just a little tip is I'm not a big, you have to post every day or you have to post six times a day kind of a person. Because to be honest, doesn't fit into my own very busy, well-balanced offline life. And the more research I've done on the topic, the more I've learned that you have to set up a posting situation for yourself, especially on social media, that you can maintain. Because what happens is if you start off posting six posts a day and you do that for a month, that's great. You'll have you'll grow your following. It'll signal well to, to Instagram that you're a, you're a real account. You'll you know get to the top of people's feeds. You'll get a lot of engagement. And then let's say you drop off to one post a day. Then I you took drop 45 off days off to to two <laughs> posts. We're just gonna skip over that because it's getting long. Two posts a week. You are going to lose a lot of engagement and. It is literally going to have a boomerang effect on your account. So it is better to just post as much as you can post and maintain, as Neil Patel says, for the rest of your natural given life. Now, having said that, I think if you can, it's a really good idea to show up daily in your stories. And that's because stories are much easier to create. They are much more casual. They can be much more just part and parcel with your actual life. And then you can sprinkle in some of your content promotion as well. But you don't have to craft a caption and you don't have to think about, you know, you can like, I mean, that's where my chihuahua pics go. And and by doing that, you're showing people the human side of you, how you spend your time. And you're keeping, quite frankly, to be just totally honest, you're keeping yourself top of mind 
for people? When I did my 45 day hiatus, which mm-hmm. I've just barely come back from. Your fast. My fast, my cleanse, mm-hmm. my purge. A, didn't, I didn't know if I would come back, but B, I got so many other things done. You know, so I, I, I think that's, that's the only other thing I want to throw in there, which is that many people can become so dependent, not just on posting, but then constantly checking, like, how is this doing? How is this doing? How is this doing? That I think that if you are spending hour or hours a day on an app, I think those are hours or hours a day that you could be doing other things that might be better for your life and for your mental health and for your development. So that's the only thing that I want to kind of throw in there is is be consistent, but try not to be overwhelmed with it as this like, as if it is the single solitary place you're going to make a, you're going to make your, your living. I think that's where planning and writing things ahead of time can really help. Because I find that when I feel really inspired and I write a post and I post it like right away, that's when I'm sort of all day like, oh, was that, did people respond to that one? Right, they love me. But when you do it ahead of time, then you go back and read it before you post it and you have to make yourself post it because you think it's like, like, oh, it's not that amazing. (laughs) amazing. In my head, that was so amazing. (laughs) So it's amazing how just like the emotion of a moment colors an experience. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So when that emotion is has run through you, that experience is a very different thing. Yeah. You're like, I don't, I don't know why I thought this was such a poignant yeah. thing. It's just what ifs. I was just talking about like my dog sniffing a jasmine plant. And I, <laughs> and I went meta there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I think we have covered a lot. There's something else. There's something else. I'm going to say this because you're not going to say it. There are so many people over the years have said, how can I support this podcast? And you say all the time via iTunes, like recommend and rate. I don't know what that actually does. You don't even show up. I can tell you later. Um, I used to show up on iTunes before there were like bazillions of podcasts. Do you remember when I was number five? Oh on, my God. You never stopped You guys, I was this. number, I was way ahead of Joel oh, Alstein. Oh. Anyways, I had stopped talking about it and then I start talking about it again. It's like the Webby I have. Did that, was it a Webby? Just move, <laughs> let's wrap it up, buddy. Okay. If you want to support Andrea and support this podcast and support yourself, buy her course. And the reason I say that is like, it's good. <laughs> because he loves buckets, let me tell you. It is really good. I don't usually toot my own horn, but I'm very excited about it, and I'm excited to see you all there. And uh, yeah, and if you can't you. Do, do that, then go volunteer and adopt a nice little animal. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. The let's see. I'm trying to think of where I can send my Venmo people. account. I'm gonna start just. Random Here's what I'm gonna say. If you want to find out more about the course, you can sign up to get the replay of the little newsletter workshop that I'm going to do and the I, I'm going to just say one more thing even though you don't want me to I cannot believe how like unsexy of an idea a webinar about a newsletter is and yet how many people signed up I guess it just means I'm really sexy no it means <laughs> that that topic is so important I think you're really 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 right to be doing it yeah. Because it's so valuable, but mm-hmm. but it's hard to know how valuable it is. Yes. That's what I'm getting at. 
So there is a workshop I'm doing tomorrow. It has sold out. I mean, it's free, but it's it's we're just at the max capacity. So if you'd like to get the two re- billion, if you'd like to get the replay and give a little tour of the course and a discount at the end of the replay, go to yoga content blueprint.com slash workshop and sign up there and I will send you the replay link and you can learn all about all the things. And I really hope it will be helpful for you. I think it will. All right, Jason. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for letting me talk so much. Thanks. You know, I haven't talked much in a couple of days. Oh my God, you won't stop. Also guys, you can, um, I'll put links to these things on the show notes page, which is yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 207. I'm going to sign off now. I think I'm entering a manic phase. Love you all. (laughs) Enjoy your practice until next week. Bye-bye.